Thanks for joining us here at AG Kolkata. We are the church for the open arms and we serve in the city of joy, Kolkata. It is our desire to reach out to those in need and to be instruments of effective change in a hurting world. If you like to learn more about us, you can simply go to www.agkolkata.org. We hope that you'll enjoy today's message. If you attend here regularly, you know that we have a theme for the year. And for some of you, it may be good news that this morning is the last in the series. You may be saying, Lord, we've heard this so many times. But our theme for this year, for those of you for whom it is new, was based on Jesus' statement in John chapter 10, verse 10. Read it if it comes up on the screen. A thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came to give life, life in all its fullness. Those five words at the end of that promise was our theme for the year, life in all its fullness. And I trust whether or not you've been able to uh, attend every message in the series that as we have pursued this theme through God's word, your understanding of God's great gift of life in all its fullness, you've understood it a little better. But just to quickly recap, there were four milestones in our journey through God's word as we tried to understand God's unfolding design for this great gift of fullness of life. The first milestone was creation. creation At creation's birth, we see that this vision of fullness of life is rooted in God's original plan in creation. And then the second milestone was creation fallen, where God's design for fullness of life was interrupted by Adam and Eve's sin fall. And as a result of which, the world is messed up. We live in a broken world today. But we also saw that God has not given up on the world. But he sent Jesus to redeem the world. And so we see God's plan for creations to redeem creation. And by his death and resurrection, God has made provision for fullness of life. To come back on track. By the way, that's why you and I are here today. Okay, We're part of God's movement for restoring fullness of life. And then the fourth and final milestone. We started looking at it a couple of months, a uh, few weeks ago. Is as we look into the future, God's vision of creation restored. Of course, it begins when you said yes to Jesus. And in Christ, each person, God says, is a new creation. So God's creation, restoration work has already begin, begun. But the, this is the climax of God's plan for life in all its fullness. And, but really, this is the brighter future that we all look forward to when God makes all things new. So today, this message brings us to the end of our journey in this series. Uh, Jesus is coming introduced a new order of things. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And in that promise, he gives to us the promise of new birth. If you've accepted Jesus, you've experienced new birth. And with new birth comes new life. And I trust 
Every Christ follower here has entered into that new life. We enter into the new life and we become part of God's new covenant people. Okay, before you came to Christ, you were conscious of your ethnic identity. You were conscious of your linguistic identity. Perhaps you were even conscious of your caste, your nationality. In Christ, we become a new covenant people where these distinctions don't matter. Even gender distinctions don't matter. For there is no male, no female, no white, no black, no high caste, no low caste, no Greek, no Jew. We are part of God's new covenant people. New birth, new life, new covenant people. Now we come to the final act of God's new creation. When God brings down the final curtain on the drama of human history, brings in a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. And that's our topic for this morning. From Revelation chapter 20, the last book of the Bible, verse 11 through to chapter 21, verse 8. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Chapter 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for a husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers and all liars... Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. 
A Sunday school teacher was teaching a small group of children about heaven and the need to surrender their lives to Jesus if they wanted to be sure to get there. And after he had done the teaching, he was a good teacher, wants to make sure that kids have got it, so he asks them, now tell me, what do I need to get to heaven? If I was the richest man on the face of the earth, would that get me into heaven? And all the children answered, no, sir. If I was a model student at school and got the highest grades in my class, would that get me into heaven? Again, the children answered, no, sir. If I gave all my money, everything I had to the church, would that get me into heaven? Once more the children answered, no, sir. Then what must I do to get into heaven? Just then, a little five-year-old boy shouted out, you got to be dead. <laughs> You've got to be dead. That is a funny story, and I shared that because the passage was kind of heavy, okay? But I shared it for more, one, more, more than that. This little boy's innocent response conveys a deadly, serious reality. Please get this. Most people, most people I know anyway, are striving to get a heaven right here in this life, right? They pursue that desperately. In fact, that is what this, the rat race of life is all about, isn't it? Uh, why do we parents tell our children, come on, study hard. Come on, you must get a good grade, you must get good. So you can go to college, do well in college. Why? Get a good job. Why? The rat race, and I'm not saying that isn't good, okay? But so that you will have a nice life. So that you will create a heaven on earth. But guess what? If you've lived as long as I have and know enough about life, you know, it is a vain pursuit, isn't it? Because much as you try to create a heaven on earth, Little boy was right. You've got to be dead before you can get there. There is no such thing. And this passage that we read brings into sharp focus this maybe uncomfortable but true reality. You've got to be dead before you can get there. But there's something that comes along with that. With death comes a solemn moment of reckoning that this passage draws attention to. And elsewhere, Hebrews 9.27, the word of God puts it like this. Just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment. This famous guy, you recognize his name, George Bernard Shaw, uh, said this concerning the statistics of death. He said, they're pretty absolute. One 
out of one person dies. Did you know that? And to that statistic, may I add, according to Hebrews 9.27, there are two certain appointments. One out of one person dies, one out of one person will have to face judgment. And this passage in Revelation 20 paints the picture of what is to come. Perhaps you're looking at it, Pastor, this sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? Will it really happen? If I can put it mildly, this is God's word. You better not risk. Better not gamble your life on the possibility. Even if you, if you are a skeptic this morning that this isn't true. Because the picture that is painted here is very clear, very matter of fact. Keep in mind our theme this morning is a new heaven and a new earth. And what this passage says is before God can renew his creation... Before he can move his creation into a new heaven and a new earth, is, there's a sense in which God does a house cleaning of his universe. He's cleaning up his universe before he can usher in a new heaven and a new earth. So I want to point out very quickly from the long passage we read, we could spend a lot of time, but what I think are the three key features of the new heaven and the new earth. That is the ultimate destination of human history. The first is this, and I've already alluded to this. The new heaven and new earth, all evil is exterminated. And that is what the great white throne judgment is all about. Yes, it is awesome. It is scary. But I want you to consider for a moment who this judge is. Who do you think this judge is? Well, let me give you a hint from the words of Jesus in John chapter 5. A couple of verses there. Where he says, the father judges no one. Instead, he has given the son absolute authority to judge. And he has given him authority to judge everyone. So, I'll give you one guess. Who is it talking about? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, the judge, pastor, I thought Jesus is gentle, Jesus, meek and mild, always with sheep, always little children, judge, see friends, the picture of Jesus born in a manger in Bethlehem is true, of course it is true, the picture of Jesus Humbling himself, washing his disciples' feet is true. And dying on the cross, it's true. But his purpose in coming the first time was to clothe himself with the lowest of humanity. And the Bible says he did that so he could experience what we experience, every detail of human life. But you know what? He's not just a man. He is God through whom the world was created. And we see him here in Revelation 20 as he really is sitting on the throne of judgment. And it's described as a great white throne. Great denoting his infinite power. White emphasizing his impeccable purity. No sin. 
can stand before his presence. And of course the throne, you know what the throne is. It's authority. Jesus mentioned this just before he ascended, didn't he? He told his disciples, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. And so it is as the infinitely powerful, impeccably pure and with absolute authority that Jesus sitting on the throne of judgment. And notice what it says. The sea gave up its dead. The, and death and the grave gave up their dead. All were judged. The dead of all ages and times will be judged. You know, the last time I looked up the word, all means, some of you are not sure. All means? All. All. From the most powerful emperor, of all time, to the humblest beggar on the street, every president, every prime minister, every potentate, every dictator, every person will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, and that's why I'm giving you scripture, friends. These are not just the words of Pastor Ivan. I'm not just putting together my construct. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I think all includes everybody here, right? How will we be judged? This passage gives us two clues. It says this judgment will be based on two books. On one hand, you have the book of deeds. And the other hand, we have the book of life. And without much ado, let me just quickly tell you whose names will be in the book of life. Very simply, all those who have bowed their knees to Jesus and as a result have been cleansed of sin so we can stand before the pure judge of all humankind, clothed in his righteousness. So when we stand before him, we stand before the one whose authority we have accepted while we were on earth. Do you follow? So when we stand before him, he knows you. Maybe treading on some toes, but I have to say it like it is, friends. Pastor, will my name be there? Just because you were baptized in a church, because you have the name Ivan or John or Sarah or Mary, doesn't guarantee your name will be there, my brother, my sister. There will be many Christians. If you've never bowed your knee to Jesus, I'm sorry your name will not be there. And there may, may be others, people of other faiths who have bowed their knees to Jesus and surrendered their lives to him. Their names will be there. It's not based on affiliation. It's not based on caste. It's not based on nationality. It's not based on race or color of skin. It's based on whether or not the name of Jesus is written on your forehead. Whether you've said yes to him. What about the rest? The rest will be judged according to the book of deeds. The deeds, of course, will record every human being's actions, good and bad. Some of you may say, really? Pastor, everything? 
You see, our parents would have had a hard time understanding that. But today, we live in the com computer age, right? Uh, not a problem. Your hard disk in your office holds a lot of information. And God is able in heaven to have a hard disk that can record every breath that you and I breathe. And the last verse that we read from Revelation 21 lists what constitutes evildoers, cowards. Please, some of, some, of you, some of you may say, Pastor, I'm afraid of some things. It includes me. No, this is in the context of faith in Jesus. If you have refused to bow your knees to Jesus out of fear or denied him somewhere because of fear, that refers to you, not just because you're afraid of cockroaches or snakes. Unbelievers, you've heard the gospel, you know what it is, and you've rejected it. The corrupt, I don't have to explain that, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and not just talking about people who worship in ignorance, people who know the truth. Dare I say, believers who still have idols in their lives, all liars. Pastor, what happens? Bad news, destination, lake of fire, second death. Say, Pastor, that sounds harsh. Yes, you see, friends, we all hate evil on the, in the world, don't we? Especially when it affects you. You hate it when you're the object of injustice. You hate it when you're the object of hatred or lust. Well, this is God's permanent solution to evil in the universe. This is the moment when God decides to exterminate evil from his universe before he ushers in the age of purity, the new heaven and the new earth. I know there's something that distresses us. Pastor, what about my unbelieving relatives and friends who have never heard? What about my parents, grandparents? It's a real question. I believe people who have never heard will be judged according to the light they have received. That is the clear teaching of Romans chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. And I want to just read this very quickly, so we can set that objection aside. When outsiders who have never heard of God's law, follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien, imposed on us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. Paul here is talking about conscience. That every human being has. There is something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no, right and wrong. The last sentence is very important. Their response to God's yes and no will become public knowledge on the day God makes his final decision about every man and woman. Now some people are able to do that. I have difficulty passing judgment that people who've never heard and who die without Christ automatically go to hell. What this passage tells us, God knows each person's heart in a way that you and I don't know. And he will do what is right. Believe you me, friends, no one will go to heaven who doesn't deserve to be there in terms of God. Who, let me put this differently. No one will be in heaven who God doesn't want there. And no one will go to hell who didn't choose to go there. Who didn't deserve to go there. But having said that, let me say, God 
has provided a way of salvation. To escape his punishment on evil. Which is why Jesus came. Not as a Christian or Jewish God. A Christian or Jewish savior. But as the son of God who is the father of all humankind. Who loves all. Who wants to rescue everyone from the evil in the universe. And he says I came. I provided a way. All you have to do is say yes to me. Trust me. And when you come before my judgment seat, you'll find your name written in the book of life. You see, friends, that's why we make a big deal during this season that we are about to enter into. I've said this before. I want to say it again. Unfortunately, many people who hear this message think of it as a Christian message. This is not a Christian message. It's not a message about conversion. This is an invitation to every human being to say yes to God's permanent solution to the problem of evil in our universe. And during Christmas time, people are at least open to hear it. Why we encourage you not just to come for SOS, give tickets to your friends, encourage people to come to the Christmas services. We have care group events, so we get a chance to just share this and then leave it to people's conscience to do what they want with God's invitation. But this is the first feature of the new heavens and the new earth. Evil exterminated forever. What that means is every victim of injustice will be vindicated. The guilty will be punished. The innocent acquitted. All accounts settled. Every wrong made right. Hallelujah. Isn't that something to celebrate? Put your hands together, friends, and just thank him. So if you're unhappy today because you're saying, I'm a victim of injustice, time is coming when you'll be vindicated. All wrongs will be set right. The second feature of the new heavens and the new earth, I love this. The curse is reversed. As a result of Adam and Eve's fall, we've talked about this, creation has been cursed. Which is why we have the symptoms all around us. Life on earth is full of pain, grief, sickness, adversity, death. It's a result of the fall and the curse. Upon creation. Do you know what causes us pain and sorrow? Have you thought about it? The damage caused by the curse. The form of sickness causes us pain, doesn't it? Some form of hunger, deprivation, misunderstanding. Forget about neighbors, even between friends and even sometimes within the family. Causes pain, hurt. Somebody offends you. A sudden accident either snatches a loved one away or maims you for life. And of course, ultimately, death causes tremendous pain. The pain of bereavement. You see, friends, the reason 
there's so much pain and sorrow that we live with is because the arrow of time points in one direction always, doesn't it? Say, what do you mean by that, pastor? So much of the damage that I've just listed, whether it's an offense, whether it's physical disability of some kind, or a loss of property, loss, a sudden crash in your business, so much of this damage seems final, permanent. A loved one is taken away, it's over. Irreversible, right? The arrow of time always points forward. You can't go back and change. I spoke this, oh no, I shouldn't have said this. But you can't take that word back. You hurt the person, it's over. You can say sorry, but the damage is done. And that's a very mild illustration of so many things, so much of pain, so much of sorrow that is irreversible. Here's the good news. In the new heaven and new earth, the curse will be reversed. Did you hear that? The curse will be reversed. That's what it says in verse 4 of Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. You see friends, everything in this life that seems irreversible, only God can reverse the irreversible. And that is what the new creation is all about. Reversing the irreversible. Let me give you just one illustration. The scriptures talk about it. Isaiah 35 verses 5 and 6. Talking about the new heavens and the new earth. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the dead unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You see, the point of this is beyond the words described there. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody like, say, Nick Vujicic, born without hands and legs. You know why he's a Christ follower and so full of zeal? In the new heavens and the new earth, we will see Nick with hands and feet. The lame will walk. The blind will see. And you see, wilderness... It's called the wilderness because there isn't water. The desert is a desert because there are no streams. But in the new heavens and the new earth, water will gush forth in the wilderness. Streams in the desert. Every disability will be healed. Every misunderstanding will be cleared. No greed. No lust. Or hatred. That means no robbery. No rape, no murder. All the damage caused by the fall will be restored. No aging, hallelujah. No disease, no accidents, so no death. Tell you why? Because God reverses the rever irreversible. God reverses the irreversible. I want you to say it with me. The curse no, no, I'll put it a different way, okay? The curse is reversed. The curse is reversed. The curse, you know why I want you to keep saying that? Okay, 
you know, as you say it, you'll feel something welling up inside. You know why? Because Satan gets nervous. The powers of darkness, they know this is happening. And when you confess it, the curse is reversed. Satan, there's an expiry date on the evil that you are wrecking in the universe. The curse is reversed. And let me tell you how God does this. You know how, why, how God does this? Because of the cross of Jesus. If you want to know why the cross is so central to our faith, this is why. In, in Galatians 3.13 it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. By his death on the cross, Jesus broke the power of the curse of sin. Some of you are smiling, you're getting it. The curse is reversed. And that is why Revelation, the passage we read, verses 5 and 6 of Revelation 21, and the one sitting on the throne, who is that? The one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And he also said, it is finished. Where did you hear that before? Where did you hear that before? On the cross of Calvary. It is finished and he's saying it again. He's saying it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The curse is reversed beloved. You know we sing at Easter time that Ron Keloli song. You remember that? Hallelujah Jesus is alive. And those, those lines that say. He's the Alpha and Omega. Remember that? The first and last is He. The curse of sin is broken. We have perfect liberty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you have any regrets about your life? Huh? You look back, you say, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I could go back five years in time and just take back those words that I said. Are there things in your life that seem irreversible? You have a loved one with a lifelong handicap. You look back on a missed opportunity. A broken relationship that seems permanent, even a divorce. And you're saying, oh, I wish I could go back and do it again. You know what? Say it. The curse is reversed. He will make all things new. That is the beauty, the glory. Of the new heavens and the new earth. I must quickly conclude with the third point, friends. Yes, evil is exterminated. The curse is reversed. And then, uh, big one. Of the new heavens and the new earth is heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. We used to pray, our Father who art in heaven, right? Now, heaven will come down to earth. Let's read, read, read the passage again in Revelation 21. Okay. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone and i saw the holy city the new jerusalem coming down from god out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for a husband i heard a loud shout from the throne saying look god's home is now among his people he will live with them and they will be his people god himself will be with them have you ever had an experience that is so great you know like maybe someone took you for this fantastic five star meal you're so full you come wow that was like heaven on earth or maybe you know your spiritual your service where you really experience god's presence you say man that was like heaven on earth have you ever said that you know that's because you have no idea what heaven on earth is really like man of us no not yet but i don't want to be little your experience you know what you've had is a taste of heaven on earth just a you know sorry excuse the you know <laughs> when you go to the kitchen and just touch it to your tongue that's all that's all this is the real thing a breathtaking vision of the ultimate goal of the universe this is where it all ends this is where 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 god created the world with this destination in mind you see that as the vision of the new creation unfolds through the book of revelation heaven is there earth is here the distinction simply falls away heaven comes down to earth and renews it changes it so that earth is restored to god's original purpose you see friends if you can imagine an earth without pollution without poverty clean air where women can walk on the street without worrying that somebody is looking at you with lustful eyes where children can walk safe on the street if you can imagine a world where there is no misunderstanding no offense a language will be perfect that's the thing which god has prepared which i has not seen ear has not heard nor entered into the heart of man read it again when god created the world in the first instant you see six days or rather five days he created the world and on the sixth day he brings this beautiful bride and groom adam and eve and he says this is for you they messed it up there's a bride and groom in the new creation huh? you know who the bride is in this case we are going to be the bride okay you macho men don't don't get don't get psyched okay you're not going to wear dresses <laughs> it's figurative but 
people who love him and belong to him. We are the bride in this new creation. And the groom is Jesus. The one whom we have not yet seen and worship and love. We'll see him as all his beauty, his glory, his splendor. And by the way, you know, you, at the end of every fairy tale, you find that phrase, they lived happily ever after. This is the real happily ever after that every fairy tale points to you. Follow when we with Jesus live happily ever after. For listen to the creator's promise. He says, I'm going to live among you. I will be their God. They will be my children. The creator's longing to have a people whom he has created who will love him with sincere, pure devotion. And he says, from eternal tea, I, this is what I wanted. Now I have it. I will be their God. They will be my children. You see, friends, when heaven comes to earth, that will be the greatest joy and blessing. Yeah, there will be clean air. Yeah, there will be the best food. Yeah, there will be no pollution. Yeah, we'll be perfect. And you know what? We won't have family the way we have it today because we'll all be one happy family. If you're a single person and you're saying, Pastor, I wish I was married. You know what? Marriage is great, but it's nothing compared to the family you will experience in the new creation. Family today is just a foretaste. It won't be long. We will all be in that perfect family. But the greatest joy and blessing is not going to be any of that. It will be our direct vision of Jesus. God will be the captivating focus of all our attention. That which every human being longs for, thirsts for, and is frustrated because it never, never, never gets filled. That longing for life in all its fullness. Only then we will know true satisfaction, fulfillment. Our hearts will be filled. I close with this quote from a great man of God called C.S. Lewis. Friends, I apologize. I'm overwhelmed by this truth. And so I don't know if I've communicated it clearly. But I just pray the Holy Spirit will make this real to you. But this is what C.S. Lewis said, a profound truth. If nothing in this world satisfies me, are you there? Perhaps it's because I was made for another world. And that is what Revelation 21 promises, a new heaven and a new earth, a new world. But here's the thing, friends. I'm speaking first 
to Christ followers, believers, which world is your heart really fixed on this morning? Hmm? Which world is your heart really fixed on? See, we can come to Jesus as kind of, you know, plan B. I accept Jesus as my savior. Just in case it's true. Huh? I have that safety net. But I really love this world and I'm giving myself to it. Which world is your heart really fixed on? Is it the old one that is passing away? You know what? You think you will make it. But you'll find yourself entering a new heaven and a new earth with a blank empty bank account. No treasure there. You just about have your ticket money to get there. But when you get there, no treasure. Because you've really pursued life in this world as though it is the end. That's why Jesus warns us. He said, be careful. Don't fix your eyes on this world. Yes, we live in the world. We're supposed to go to work. We're supposed to cook meals. We're supposed to go to school and college. We're supposed to do all that. But, but this world is passing away. I urge you, my fellow believers, let's let the fire of truth of God's word, these the great treasures that he's promised for us, cause us to be burned with passion. And let's not be selfish. What about those who don't know this and who don't make it? I'm telling you, some of our joy in heaven will be robbed because we spent all of our life, even as believers, only obsessed with this world. Here's his promise and I close with this. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Thanks for listening to this message from AG Kolkata. We hope you would stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by using at AGC Kolkata. We would love to know how this message has touched your life. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing us at stories at agkolkata.org. Hope you have a great week ahead.